Animal Magnetism. Exploring animal care for creatures great and small. Conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. That's right. That's right. Let's hear those applause. I thoroughly enjoy that. I absolutely love that. Tony, we've got to change that intro. Because it ain't a single voice, especially now. Especially now that Andrea and I, my fabulous producer, Andrea Compton, who is up uh, coming to us from just outside of Seattle. Say hello, Andrea. Hello. Yes, could not. Yes, 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 yes. Could not do this show without you. But now that Andrea and I have co-opted Gray Stafford, the inimitable Dr. Gray Stafford, uh, Ph.D., to uh, my animal mentor, the Alpha and the Omega, as I call him, to to come on with us pretty much every show. <laughs> so now that we've <laughs> co-opted him, it ain't a single voice. I will redo my own intro if I have to, because I will talk about me ad nauseum. <laughs> Welcome once again, animal lovers of all stripes, to Animal Magnetism. I am your co. I am your host, Carolyn Hennessy, with my co-host, uh, Andrea Compton, and Dr. Gray Stafford. Well, hello, Gray. How are you? I'm great. I launched my podcast this yes, week. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You, um, you are now not only my mentor, but you're my competition. No, yeah. no, no, no. So no, thanks no. a lot for that. No, 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 no. I will never have an Emmy. I will never be a best-selling author. So. Yes, yes, you um, will. Yes, as far as if I, if I have anything to do with it, you'll have both. Um, awesome. And considering you and I were talking about a screenplay this morning, you may even have an Oscar. Who knows? <laughs> we are joined today. We are abs- we are joined today not often, not only by Jonathan Wallach, and we're going to get to jo- we're going to get to you, Jonathan, in just a moment. But we are joined today by Jason. G- what does the G stand for? Well, that's my middle name. Oh, Jason. There's a lot of Jason Goldmans out there. There, are Jason G. Goldman, and I am going to read a li- good morning and welcome and thank you for being here. <laughs> Yes, it is early, isn't it? It's very early. I know. Welcome to my world. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jason Goldman and why he is here today. Jason Goldman is a science journalist and wildlife reporter based in Los Angeles who covers stories in animal behavior, wildlife biology, conservation, and ecology for a range of outlets, including, drumroll please, National Geographic, Scientific American, Los Angeles Magazine, Biographic, The Washington Post, BBC Earth, Hakai Magazine, Slate, Salon, Gizmondo, Autobahn, Alta, and elsewhere. Well, there is no elsewhere. You've pretty much covered it. His reporting has taken him around the world to the Peruvian Amazon in search of spiders, to the dry forests of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula to learn about sustainable logging, to Ecuador's Mindo cloud forest in search of a rare, funny-looking lizard, uh-huh, to Tajikistan in search of an endangered mountain goat and the people who hunt them. His travels have resulted in stories about endangered foxes on the California Channel Islands, endangered snakes in Alabama's longleaf pine forests, invasive frogs in Los Angeles. We have invasive frogs. Sea turtle poachers in Nicaragua and the world's rarest iguana on a tiny speck of an island in the Galapagos. He is the co-author of the, for- forth- of the forthcoming book, which we will not be discussing, Wild, Li- Wild L.A. Exploring the Amazing Nature in and Around Los Angeles, coming out in 2019, look for it from Timber Press, was the co-editor of Science Blogging, The Essential Guide, Yale University Press. Thank you very much. 
and was the editor for the fifth edition of the Open Laboratory Lulu 2011, an annual printed anthology of the best science writing online. You also have, you also founded, co-founded, and direct an annual science communication retreat called SciCom Camp, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to talk about why you're at, the reason that I, I called you here today. Um, we're going to talk about urban coyotes in Los Angeles. Oh, my favorite urban okay, yeah, because is you, they are the largest carnivore predator in the United States. They, I mean, the, the, mo the most populous? Um, they're the only predator in uh, the United States that doubled its range since European colonization. But I mean, we have mountain lions, we have bears, they're all bigger. They're all they're lar larger populations. Uh, larger animals. Larger animals. But, but in terms of just like ma mass, uh, massive a populations. Um, I'd guess more certainly more coyotes than mountain lions, probably than bears. But sure. Doubled their population, uh, whereas, yeah. whereas so many other things have, 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 have shrunk. Exactly. Have, like, right, 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 right. Okay, we're going to get to that in a moment. Jonathan Wallach also joins us from, where are you, Jonathan? New York? Um, yes, New York. Yes. All right, now, I, first of all, I met and f just fell in love with your mom. Because she is a force of nature. Where is your mom? Is she is she there? Can she can she step in for a second? Hi, Abby. Hello. Welcome to Animal Magnetism, darling. Thank, Thank you. you. For but Jonathan, how old are you? I'm 13. You're 13. Yes. Nice. Good age. Good age. Um, you are here as part of a school project. Yes. Tell me about this school project. Okay. So. Two of the teachers are English and social studies teachers assigned us with this project called Service Learning. And we're supposed to do an act of service that like encourages us to learn something new that we didn't know before and help our classmates with that too. So will you be showing this episode of Animal Magnetism to your classmates? Um, if or I'm allowed to, yeah. No, I I, you, can, you can do as far as I'm concerned. You can, you can do anything <laughs> you want. Hello, classmates. Um, so tell us, Andrea, first of all, has a question for you, uh, which is the sort of initial launch question that she asks of everyone, and she'll be asking it of you, too. Just Well, just yeah, so, ha-ha, Jonathan. So what was the one animal in your life that has affected you um, and put you on the path that you're here today, which is talking to us about animals and conservation and preservation? Well, I've always loved almost every animal that I've come across. And then dogs are just very appealing to me. They're very cute. They're almost everywhere that I look and they're just make my day when I see them. And I've always wanted to have one as myself. Do you have one now? No. Abby, Abby, <laughs> Abby, get on that. Get on that. Working on it. Working on it. Yeah, work, well, work on it harder, darling. Work on it harder because as 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 we have learned on this show, at any given time, Gray, I think you will corroborate this. At any given time, there are more dogs and cats. There are more pets in the United States than there are people on the planet. Ten billion at any given time, and that's in the United States alone. So, Abby, give give a home to a dog. Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan needs a dog. Jonathan, what what is you, you've come on this show, but what is it that you would like to learn on this show or contribute to this show? Or, or, or what is it that you would like to do <laughs> with your life? The big question. And does it involve animals? Um, I'm not sure about what I want to do with my entire life, but 
like, I find it very interesting to be on the show to understand what animal magnetism is and to talk with um, our guest, Jason G. Goldman. Jason Glut Goldman, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're going to go back to your class and, and present this and, and discuss about and discuss what you've learned. Do you think you, in, in your life, you might want to have a career that has an animal focus to it? Um, it could be because my best friend actually loves animals too. So if that leads to one thing or another, I'm not sure. I think you should be both become trainers at, at your local zoo. Go to the Bronx Zoo and ask to, and ask to shovel elephant poop for a while. Or, or any kind of poop for a while and yeah. get and get your hands dirty and see if you love it because if you re- if you really have a connection to animals and well especially dogs the, yeah. the way you say you do then then I think obviously you are you are destined for a career well let's hope you do learn something today Jason hi I think you're fine Tony will tell you if you're not okay so you and I met at a very interesting um, event, yeah, it was uh, sort of a, a, a kind of a an announcement <laughs> event with for, for Beth, Beth Pratt Bergstrom and um, Save the Cougars, Save the Cougars LA, yeah, Save LA Cougars, Save LA Cougars, and we've had Beth is <coughs> we've had her on this show and she's been a wonderful guest, and Beth is trying to ultimately the the, the goal of Save LA Cougars is to get the ramp built over the very fast drive in 101 freeway yep. up in the up in the Agoura area yeah, at Liberty Canyon at Liberty Canyon which is where so many of these cougars are mating and breeding and that's where yeah. they are and so that they don't cross try to cross the freeway at night because so many Los Angeles cougars are becoming roadkill right second second uh, most common cause of mortality for mountain lions in Los Angeles Getting hit by cars. Mount, yes, mountain lions also also cougars. I mean, just got to make sure we we because there are so many names for yeah, so many. Yeah, mountain lions. lion, cougar, uh, uh, puma, catamount. Sure. Panther. Panther. Yeah. Okay. And so, the event where you and I met, she was <laughs> announcing that 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 scientific studies were moving forward. Scientific studies had been completed, and they were starting to starting to try and get funding. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the um. I've been to so many of those events. I think it was the environmental impact report that had been completed, mm-hmm. um, which meant like that it's one step closer, you know, one bureaucratic hurdle crossed. One piece of red tape yeah. taken off the tape roll and yeah. tossed into the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Why were you there? Uh, well, I've been um, involved with the project since the very early days. I've been reporting on Mount Lyons in Los Angeles um, uh, as long as I've been you know, doing this work. Um, ever since uh, P22 first showed up in Griffith Park, um, I've been reporting his story. Um, Beth and I met years ago. Um, I think she was part of a panel that I was at, just kind of hanging out. Um, and we met and realized, like, we were sort of, you know, of the same kinds of people. Um, Kindred spirits, as yeah. it were. Um, and uh, uh, since then, um, you know, I was like, how can I, how can I help? And um, I've sort of been involved with that project ever since. Andrea, your question for Jason, please. <laughs> I'm going to actually toss it to uh, Mr. Jonathan. I think he's going to oh. take my question for today. Oh, Jonathan, go ahead. Okay, so Jason, what is the one animal that affected you to choose the path that you that you that you are on today? I um, it's a good question. I don't know that there 
was a one animal. I mean, I came to this as a scientist. Um, I was a graduate student at USC here in LA um, in a psychology department, and I was studying uh, animal cognition. I was interested in um, the evolution of the mind. Um, and uh, it turns out that one really uh, good way to understand uh, the mind is to look at animal minds. Because um, in many cases, depending on the animal you're studying, um, they're, they're simpler than a human mind, right? If you want to understand something complex, you start with some understanding something a little bit simpler. So we studied chickens in my lab. Um, I wrote my dissertation on chicken cognition. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure it's, it's obviously very important, but it's also very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, they, chickens turn out to be really useful model species when it comes to understanding certain questions about the mind and how, Gray, how, how thinking happens. Gray, you would, you would corroborate that? I, I didn't study cognition in graduate school. I'm more of a physiologist, but, uh, He's absolutely right that, that animal models are simpler in many cases. We can ask questions that we probably couldn't ask of, of children or, or of, of humans, at least not right away. So uh, absolutely. And, and chickens, a lot of people train chickens with clickers and positive reinforcement, so they certainly can learn like any other species. So here's to chickens. Yeah. Here's to chickens. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got, you know, I, I, I got interested in this question of, um, you know, animals and sort of then I became, I, instead of sort of staying in the academic tenure track, I became a writer and started writing not just about animal behavior, animal cognition, but also wildlife and ecology and conservation. And that's sort of how I got to where I am now. Do you find that, because I know Gray is certainly one of the smartest people that I know and also ha comes at it, again, from a f physiological standpoint, but with a, with a bent towards science, and yet Gray is so passionate about animals. I mean period, and can tell you the, the, the first time that he really decided this is what he was going to do, because you did not start out on this path, Gray. You, d you, went, you went to SeaWorld, Ohio, and said, boing, that was it. Right, and I was a physics uh, graduate in, in college, so I, it is interesting to see how people's pathways evolve from where they start and, and, and what opportunities, and it's important to be open to those opportunities, right, Jason? Yeah. So, um, and and let yourself be affected by them and get involved in, in projects that are of interest to you. So now you find, do you find yourself now still more of a sort of an observing scientist or are you, is your soul sort of now in the trenches with the animals? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that those two things are different. Um, I mean, I think they can be for some people, but you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm like involved in getting this bridge built, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's in sort of an active role in trying to make the world, I think frankly, Part of my job as a journalist, as a wildlife reporter, is to uh, encourage people to make the world a better place for wildlife um, and for people. Because if you do one, you do the other. That's the whole premise of the show, right. as right. far as right. I'm right. concerned. So, like, like the the idea that as a scientist or as a journalist, you have to be detached. From right, your and, and so many is, people are. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, I have a bias that conservation is important, that wildlife is important. Uh, and that's okay. I think it's that that as long as I'm honest about that bias. It, you know, it's it's interesting because Gray and I were talking as on, on on the way in. There are people now who I find, and I I think I obviously have to change my Facebook settings. It's as simple as that, uh, because people in an effort to educate the world 
are posting videos of animal abuse, and I see them, and I and I'm I'm wrecked for days. I'm simply wrecked for days. But I am not, nor do I claim to be a a, a, a um, an outside observer. But wouldn't you all agree? And Jonathan, you can think think about this too. Wouldn't you all agree that, in order to be able to to disseminate the information? You have to be slightly detached because it's like it's like a nurse or a doctor or a, an an undertaker or s anything that deals with pain and suffering. If you if you get involved with everything that you see, you bec you 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 become a wreck and you can't actually report on it. You can't function correctly. You can't report on it correctly. You can't administer. Uh, medicine or care or your bedside manner falls to falls to shit. So, would you, do you do you try and maintain some type of when you when you when you when you hear you hear about roadkill, you know, and 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 little puma babies, little cougar babies, kind of trying to cross with their parents, and they're and and they're how does that how does that uh, affect you when you're trying to report on it? Yeah, I mean, I th I think you're right if. If you um, find yourself, you know, like really relating with every individual animal, um, then, then you know, depending on who you are and your personality, then that might be like a paralyzing, um, paralyzing thing. Um, uh, you know, as a as a scientist and someone who's interested in this stuff, I also find these problems fascinating. I find the problem of roadkill fascinating. There are researchers whose entire uh, research program is to study when and where roadkill occurs um, and I think that's a fascinating area of study because then it tells us you know what the most important places are that we need to find a remedy right right um, so from a scientific perspective I find this like all those dead animals are sad but uh, they're also in, in a way an opportunity to understand more and um, to keep to keep from having yeah. more dead animals yeah. on the road yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Jonathan um, would you agree with that yeah it's painful to see dead animals on the road sometimes like yeah, absolutely. Well, I just have to figure out how to fig how to change my Facebook settings because I am I am so wrecked, and it's been a long time since I've cried on the show. Right, Gray? Right, Andrea? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. 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 When, yeah. We, yeah. Episodes, when we when yeah. we started this <laughs> when we when I started out, I had just come home from Thailand and Cambodia, doing a working on a. Um, documentary called Elephant Trainer in the Room. And I saw wonderful things, like Chilets and Elephant Nature Park, and I also saw things that m made me question humanity in its entirety. And uh, so came home and started this show, and all I did was cry. That's all I did, was basically cry every episode. But I haven't done that in a while, and, and I am wondering if I'm becoming inured to animal abuse and I, uh, but then again, I hope that I'm just really parlaying my acting skills <laughs> into being, you know, kind of focused. So let's talk about Jason. Do you, uh, Jonathan? Do you have, uh, do you have cougars where you are? Have you ever seen mountain lions, cougars? Um, no, coyotes. Not, but, no, uh, but I've heard coyotes before. You you've <laughs> heard them. You've heard them. Yeah. Now, do oh. you do you live in the city in 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 New York City, or do you live kind of like uh, outside? Uh, um, I live in Westchester County. No, and and you haven't seen coyotes in Westchester? 
No, I haven't seen one. Are there coyotes in Westchester? I mean, I, I don't know that particular, you know, county, but I'm sure. I mean, there there have been coyotes um, in Manhattan, like in the city. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know that they've established like a breeding population there, but but they're sort of there on the bleeding edge of, um, of their range. Well, this article, Backyard Beasts of Prey in Alta Magazine, um, talks about coyotes in Los Angeles and how they have become more emboldened. Possibly. Possibly. Or w if, if, it's, if they haven't become more emboldened, then why are they uh, in such large numbers here? Is it because they're hunting for food? Well, so, they're, so, so LA is, so in, in this article, um, I, I, in reporting this article, I uh, did research on the coyotes in LA, in San Francisco, in Denver, and Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah. Um, L LA, Southern California coyotes are a bit weird. They don't follow. Well, it's quite Southern the, California. They don't follow quite the same pattern as the other coyotes. Um, there have always been coyotes here. Right. Um, Forty-five thousand years ago, as you said. Right. Right. I mean, you go to the La Brea Tar Pits, and there are coyote bones there. Um, same coyotes that we have now today. Right. Same species. Um, and. Even even uh, during uh, the times of the most intense coyote persecution in our country, when coyotes were driven out of San Francisco and other cities, um, there were always coyotes kind of in LA, less than there are today, perhaps, like in the in the urban area, the urban core. But there are always coyotes here, so they never we never quite drove them completely away. Mm -hmm. um, so so the uh, local coyote population has become adapted to urban life. Um, uh, uh, longer ago, let's say, than the ones that have recently recolonized San Francisco. Recolonized San Francisco, because in your article you say it was in the 1920s when the last urban coyote was driven, was, was died, that yeah. lived in Golden Gate Park. Uh, yeah, the last, uh, um, the last coyote that was like, that, that was known in, in sort of San Francisco in the city um, was, was uh, shot, I think, like 1924. Right, like that, in Golden Gate Park. Golden Gate Park. Park. Right. Um, but now, there are coyote families, there are, there are little dens, yeah. around Coit Tower. Yeah, perhaps and 50 coyotes in the city. 50 like coyotes in the city. <laughs> and and they've, learned to, they've learned Chicago, San Francisco, here, to really hunt nocturnally. Yeah, so coyotes are part of the reason they're so adaptive and able to thrive in a, in a city um, is because uh, they can... Uh, be active at, in the day or the night. They can live alone or in a group. They can eat almost anything. They can eat uh, animals. <coughs> they can eat plants. They can eat human garbage. Um, uh, so you take an animal like this that is so flexible and so adaptive, and of course they're going to find a way to of course. to survive in a city. And, and in a place like L.A., Chicago, San Francisco, um, uh, rather than um, you know, rather than avoid people. Um, uh, uh, um, Spatially, mm -hmm. um, they avoid people in time. So while most of us are asleep at night and off the roads, most of us, mm -hmm. um, that's when the coyotes uh, come out. When we're going to sleep, they're waking up. There's there's evidence too that we're we're seeing that with other species uh, in parts of Southeast Asia. Tigers are adapting to the presence of humans by changing their patterns to avoid uh, run-ins with human beings. Um, right. And of course, I live in Phoenix, so coyotes are a way of life here. I, I literally have seen coyotes in, in the city 
um, stop at the side of the road and look both directions before they cross. I mean, they truly are an adaptive, yeah. clever species. That's something that you that, that you mentioned that there are coyotes that you've you've noticed do that. Yeah, um, um, that uh, could look both ways before they cross the street. Yeah, yeah. The, the coyote researcher in Chicago, uh, Stan Garrett, who I think I think that's like the longest running urban coyote study in the country. Se- Seventeen years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and pretty much every major city in the U.S. now has some version of a coyote study. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's been doing it there for almost two decades, and he, uh, um, uh, it was I think Nat Geo was doing a documentary, and they put uh, what they call a critter cam onto one of his coyotes. Um, so it's like a collar with a camera, so they could see you know what it was doing over the course of a couple nights, um, and it showed uh, uh, they they collared one of a of an alpha pair, um, and it showed uh, she, she I think it was the female, and she was following the male, and he stopped at a street. You could see cars coming by in the video, and you could kind of see the streetlight, and you kind of watch the coyote kind of <laughs> go like this as the cars are coming by, and then you see in the video the light change, mm-hmm. um, and then they and then they cross. <laughs> Jonathan, uh, your homework assignment is to find out your what's going on with your coyote study uh, in Manhattan, in the Greater Manhattan area. Okay, okay? Awesome. that's your homework assignment, and you may be asked to come back and report on it. Okay, okay. that's just letting you know. So. Coyotes used to be considered menaces. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I've got this neighborhood neighborhood email page called, it's like Neighborhood California or something like that. Neighborhood Burbank. And now every other day, it's a coyote coyote sighting during the day, which means your pets are, especially the smaller dogs, in 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 danger. So, coyotes used to be considered a, a tremendous menace and were driven out at gunpoint, shot, etc. But because we have become so ecologically minded, we have become so conservation minded. I think certainly in in Southern California, yay, very flaky, but yay, we're conservation minded. And we're we're a little we're more relaxed, we're laid back. It's like oh, okay, we can peacefully coexist as long as it doesn't eat my chihuahua. Right. I'm fine. And that's the reason why they've become. Would you consi- Would you say that's one of the reasons that they have become more bold, because they know that you know what, Southern California. We come down out of Griffith Park, roaming the streets of North Hollywood. Eh, we're not going to be shot. Um, so that's certainly why there are more of them now, right? Why, why uh, in many places, coyotes have, like I said, recolonized the city. They came back to Chicago. They came back to San Francisco. Chicago. I mean, you just don't think. First yeah. of all, it's cold. Why would they be in Chicago? Yeah. So, that's ridiculous. So at one time, uh, you know, Chicago was like outside the, the range of coyotes. Right. Um, but uh, as we killed off all of the larger predators, like wolves and bears, um, coyotes had an opportunity to expand. <clears throat> Their range, you know, there's increased uh, prey base available to them, and they um, weren't being preyed upon. Right, right. Um, in general, I mean, you, you, sometimes you find like a mountain lion. Sure. A mountain lion will go after a coyote, um, but in general, um, uh, and and then we were the dominant predator on the landscape, right? Right. We we took out all these coyotes, and then we stopped. Uh, in in general, at least at least in sort of more urban areas. Thirty years ago, twenty years ago. Um, yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah, let's say the last 50 years. Okay. Like as a general. Okay. You know, I think different cities is different and sure. and in in rural areas you still do sometimes get um, coyotes being persecuted because, you know, they're going after farm animals or something. 
Um, well, hunting hunting season in Arizona for coyotes is 365 days a year, I believe. No kidding. Yep. You can you can hunt a um, really. And 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 they're they're prevalent. Um, there there are no danger here in Arizona, that's for certain. And we you know we keep building golf courses, which bring in the rabbits and other small prey items. Um, most people in Phoenix that I know of don't keep their cats outside. So I don't know what your cat population is in, in Los Angeles, but um, you know cats that go in and out typically are preyed upon by coyotes. Yeah. So you don't see that a lot here where people keep, they all they have indoor cats. So um, there's a lot of food for those coyotes that are clever enough to survive traffic and other human hazards. And you live outside the, you live sort of outside in the, in, a, in kind of a mountainous area of Phoenix. I do. So I live next to the Tonto all... National Forest. So my coyotes truly are wild. They don't see a lot of people, but you'll see them move into some of the closer neighborhoods to town and then they'll, they'll travel out back into more of the rural areas. Yeah. And it's uh-huh. not like, for instance, you, Gray and I have talked about the fact there was, I mean, human na- human beings are encroaching on wildlife all over sure. the planet. There are, there is, Gray and I like to say, there is there are no more wild spaces. And we talked about this one particular leopard that encroached on this village in Uttarakhand, India, and suffered some dire consequences because it was looking for food because its food supply had dried up because, you know, villages were... But that's not really the reason, because coyotes are omnivores. Yeah. So that's not really the reason that they are becoming so bold. They no, just, they're no. just, so, they just, they're just more populous, so they want to roam around. Yeah. Well, yes, and um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, if you're if you're uh, an animal, you have a limited amount of energy. You use energy, you have to replenish it. And so, given the choice between working hard to catch a rabbit and going through your trash can, which is an easy source of food, or uh, pet food that's left outdoors for you know your dogs or cats, um, or an unsecured trash can, or e- even if you have fruit trees that you let the fruit fall to the ground, like that is ringing the dinner bell for a coyote, right? Because they don't have to work for that the way they have to do to run down a, a, a rabbit or. Um, something so so that's that's so they're lazy so that's one piece of so it. coyotes are basically lazy right I mean and 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 that's and that's a reasonable strategy for survival right listen I order and take out because I don't want to cook so um, I'm lazy too I get but it. but the second piece is that um, uh, the coyotes so, so we talk about like are they getting bolder and this is an open question that researchers are working on are it's, they really it's, getting it's bolder? The, it's the basis of your article yeah and so so it perhaps um, those coyotes that do better in the city are those that are a little bit less risk averse, the ones that are a little bit riskier already by, uh, by personality. And those are the ones that do well. Those are the ones that survive to breeding age and reproduce. And so over time, perhaps those uh, urban populations are becoming uh, uh, a little bit bolder, a little bit more likely to run- risk running into humans than those that live in less densely populated areas where they don't have that kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Greg. Well, just it sounds like we are we are slowly selecting for those riskier, uh, risk-taking animals that live closer to human settlements. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, which, which is which is, uh, I mean, and this is this gets into like serious speculation territory, um, but but but. This seems to be how wolves were domesticated into dogs. It, it was like those wolves that hung out on the fringes of human settlements that were like mm-hmm. a little bit more tolerant of being close to people who could take advantage of those food resources, right? And then over, over, over many tens of thousands of years, like they bred with each other and became dogs, right? Um, 
is the same thing happening with coyotes? I, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, you, this is this is the last the last portion of your article, and you talk about uh, Garrett's study, and it's a pattern that some researchers have even compared to the earliest stages, as you say, of dog domestication, when some wolves began to scavenge garbage dumps of ancient human settlements. To begin addressing that question, Gert is still in early stages, but seeing some encouraging results. And I find that I find that the use of that word encouraging very interesting. It's encouraging for the wolves. It's encouraging for the scientific hypothesis. It's, it's encouraging <laughs> for the scientific <laughs> hypothesis. Okay, because wolves are humans. The C-149 is, is, a, is a female wolf in, I mean, a f female coyote, coyote in, in, uh, in Griffith yeah. Park. Yeah, uh, northeastern L.A. We were in, um, when I went out with the researcher, with um, researchers from the N uh, National Park Service to track her down, we were in Rio de Los Angeles State Park, kind of I, on the border. I don't even know where that is. It's uh, northeastern Los Angeles, kind of, it, it borders the L.A. River. It's not far from Dodger Stadium. Got it. Got it. So, like, like Elysian Park. So, kind yeah, of. So, so, I mean, her home range, um, <clears throat> like, uh, the, her, her den seems to be in that park, in that little, like, bit of green space. But we followed her for the night through neighborhoods, <clears throat> right? Her, her territory includes neighborhoods, and she's using the river as a transit corridor because um, mm -hmm. it is relatively safe. And um, see that this is an urban animal. She and her mate, about two hours before sunrise, C-149 finally returns to the park, where you, this close where to Dodger started, Stadium. Yeah. She and her mate will remain in their den, safely snoozing with their sons and daughters as the park once again fills with ball players and picnickers. They're again choosing to inter not to interact with humans in general. based on time. Most, will remain bl most humans will remain blissfully unaware that they're playing and snacking so close to, nor to North America's most successful carniv carnivore. <laughs> but when the sun goes down, the coyotes will sniff out the park goers' carelessly discarded chip bags and slowly spoiling leftover luncheon meat. They really will. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we, and we Carolyn, um, out where we are, um, if you go hiking in the evening, um, certain times of the year, you'll hear the coyotes and you'll be surprised at how close they are. I'll go out with my German Shepherd and uh, we have to be careful out here because in the outskirts of town, you do have coyotes working cooperatively. They will draw domestic animals like dogs in and kill them and, and prey on them. And so, but to hear them and they suddenly talk from different parts of the, the forest nearby, and it is shocking how close they are. I, I think most people in LA would be surprised at how close they are to wildlife like that. Oh, um, I, yeah. I'm sure because for instance, I will go hiking very rarely, very rarely. <laughs> But I will, at, at some, if someone encourages me to go hiking, I will go hiking in Griffith Park. And I have seen up at the top, just above the, the, the equestrian center, yeah. if anyone knows Los Angeles, you know, the, the equestrian center. Like uh, in the hills above that, there are these uh, hiking trails, yeah. horse trails. And I've seen coyotes directly in my path, packs of them, yeah. three or four. Yeah. Packs of coyotes. Yeah, one and, of the uh, and I will, I will, I will. Now, your article says if you want to move past them, or if you want to, if if you are threatened by them, you scream and yell and wave your and be and be even more aggressive right. than they are, and that will hopefully frighten right. them off. Well, except when there are when they when they've already become aggressive. Right. So so, um, so it, it's interesting when you say uh, aggressive, like aggressive, uh, be more aggressive than they are, because a lot of people see a coyote and they automatically think it's being aggressive just because it's there. Just because it's there. Right. When like 
it's checking you out, you're checking it out, maybe it's curious, like, it's not necessarily being aggressive. No, but in Los um, Angeles, coyotes have this reputation for stealing your dogs yeah. and eating a your dogs. A reputation, certainly. A reputation. And so immediately when you see a coyote, you think, uh, right. fear. Where's, you, where's, you fear. Fear. Yeah. Fear and and pick pick your dog up if you've got one. Right. Absolutely. Well, and if you don't have one, it's like fear that it's going to attack you because even though they're it's very but, but rare, you probably won't. Very rare. Uh, coyotes will attack humans. Th- very rare. But that's it happens. Th- that's, and it happens that's, in L.A. Yes, but that's the instinct, right? So, I have seen these coyotes when I on my rare my rare hikes. And so when I get these coyote warnings on my in my email box, I think, well, I've got four dogs, but they're fine. <laughs> I'm in the middle of Burbank. Right. I'm I, it, and and they're not. Right. Yeah. I've I've seen coyotes like in in Santa Monica, like in neighborhoods. Um, one of the easiest ways to see coyotes if you're in Los Angeles is to go to Griffith Park around like dusk, like as the sun is just starting to go down, and um, find one of the picnic areas. And right. find one, and and because the coyotes are gonna, they know that there's gonna be trash and leftovers there. Um, it's one of the easiest places to see coyotes in Los Really? Angeles. Yeah. And bring a dog. Maybe. Don't maybe bring not. The dog. Maybe don't. Maybe, maybe don't, don't bring the dog. Maybe. Or don't. at least if you do <laughs> have it on a leash. I was joking, people. I'm joking. You know, just as yeah, of course on a leash, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are lots of things that a homeowner can do to make their, um, you know, proactively to make sure their pets are safe. Do, let's talk about some of them. Um, if you if you know you're in like if, if you're sort of in one of these sort of um, uh, 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 transitional areas where sort of the urban gives way to the wild, like, like for instance, like in Santa Monica Mountains, or, or or close to the equestrian center. Yeah, yeah, or like like in Los Feliz, kind of like on the boundaries of Griffith Park. I want to stop you for one second, Jonathan. Yes. What do you think people can do to make their dogs safer, pets safer, dogs, cats, gerbils, hamsters? Uh, rabbits. What do you think, what would you do to make your pet, when you get one, Abby, what would you do, will you do, <laughs> to make your, your pet safer from coyotes that may or may not be in Westchester County? So actually, my friend, I was talking to him the other day, and he was, um, his dog was actually asking to go outside at night, but he wouldn't let him out because he said, oh, they're coyotes, like, I don't want you to get eaten, all that stuff. So... He ended up deciding not to put his dog outside to make sure that the dog was safe. Okay, so so not not letting your pet out at night, yeah. but if your pet, like for instance, has to you know do its business, yeah, of course, you would go outside with that pet. Yeah, of course. Either on a leash if you need to walk it, mm-hmm. with a, maybe it like what do you think like a flashlight or a stick or sure. something like that, or make sure that your backyard's enclosed, right? True. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe don't slather it with peanut butter or something like that. Yeah. What else? What else, <laughs> Gray? What What do you do, Gray? Because you're up, you're up mm. in the in the, in the wild. A, that's a great question. We just adopted a, a little puppy that's a Manchester Terrier, so Min Pin kind of small small breed, and so I uh, installed in our dog run, which is fairly large, uh, sun sails, the triangular type things, and to cover because we have birds of prey to worry about, but also coyotes are great climbers. If you think you have a six foot chain link fence and that they're not going to get over that or under that, think again. Um, they do make some kind of um, agricultural fencing you can use that makes climbing much more difficult. But coyotes are really, really agile animals, too. So it's best to go out there and supervise your small animals if you're if they're out there for a 2 a.m. potty break. Jason, yeah. Other, yeah. Other, so, other so yeah, supervising 
the animals in those in those sort of high risk times. Absolutely. And then there's sort of two um, two simultaneous things you can do. One is um, uh, make it difficult for a coyote to access your backyard, like using predator proof fencing. Um, but the other is to um, uh, do what you can to make your yard as uninteresting to a coyote in the first mm -hmm. place as possible, which means securing your trash cans, not leaving out pet food, picking up fallen fruit, all these kinds of things that are natural attractants to a wild animal that's hungry. Um, like, don't ring the dinner bell, right? Got it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and and work, work with your neighbors because it, it's important that they are on board with this too because yeah. otherwise you're – you're, you're going to not have as much success. Yeah. Uh, we thought we were terribly clever when I first moved into the house, and we left cat food in a cat-accessible area, a box, a locked box. We put the cat bowl in there with the food in it, and so the cat could have, you know, access at night. And by God, we had raccoons. Raccoons L can break locks. Yeah. Like they yes. pick locks. Yes, and, I, and I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, because we would, I'd hear them underneath the deck, and I'd see them. Well, I finally got smart and brought the cat food inside. Yeah. And so the cat now has food inside and does not go out. But it's interesting because I'm a very light sleeper, and all the dogs are on the bed. And the cat. So now six of us share the bed. And I will, one of the dogs will jump off in the middle of the night. I'll hear the doggy door in the far distance, and they come out. And then... I am in my sleep somehow vigilant for hearing that door and them jumping back up, yeah. up, up on the bed or me having to drag them up on the bed if they're little like Arbuckle. Um, but, I'm, but I'm vigilant about it because I'm out at 2 o'clock in the morning, and they know they can go out, but I shouldn't. I should get up and supervise them when they go out. Because, well, see, and someday I, you might get a raccoon coming in your, your doggy door. Yeah. Well, or, or or a coyote, or or, or a coyote, <laughs> because well, raccoon, are raccoons good climbers too? Yeah. I oh guess. my goodness! Yes. 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 Yeah. So, but there's no, there's no. I don't have any fruit trees except yeah. lemons. I don't think, think anyone's interested well, in a lemon. If they fall, you should still pick them up. Okay. Well, I do, I do, Jason. Good. I promise. Good. Um, but I'm still in that urban mindset where it's like, oh, my yard's fine. I'm in the middle of Burbank. My yard's fine. There's not going to be a coyote crossing coming down, coming down, you know, my street. I was about to say the name of my street. No. Coming, I'm just, I'm in that urban mindset. Yeah, because if you don't see I, it, then you don't realize it. If you it's don't there. see it, right. Yeah, so there's a lot of people who say, you know, oh, we don't have coyotes in my city. And, like, you probably you do. do. Yeah, I do. Probably. And it's, and I am close to Griffith Park. Yeah. Which means that it's, but that doesn't mean anything because they cannot be in Griffith Park. Yeah. They can be. In the L.A. River, very close to my house. Yeah. Well, what, we, what, what we learned from San Francisco is that, like, there's so little oh. green space that they oh. need. Right. They just need, like, a little bit of, like, cover to hide a den, like a little bit of shrubbery. Um, because they can take advantage of the urban area, right? They just need, like, a tiny little bit. In, in Chicago, they use um, uh, railroad rights of way, right? Like, there's a little bit of vegetation on the side of um, uh, train tracks. Um they right. use that both for, for transit, for movement, right. and for, like, it's part of their home ranges. So, yeah, they don't need that much, like, what we think of as a wild space. Just a tiny bit. And they're here to stay. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, you can – some cities, you know, aggressively, you know, maybe they'll have a couple of bites or they'll lose a couple of animals, and um, a city council will decide to, you know, to try to cull um, some coyotes. Um, but that, and, and that that kind of cull, like, that kind of um, process a, just doesn't work. Like, well, you'll kill those coyotes, and they'll be replaced with, you know, ten more just like them. Right, Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you talk about that yeah. in this article. I can't recommend this article, especially if you're a city dweller in Los Angeles. If you're if you're a Los Angeles denizen, Backyard Beast Supre, Alta Magazine. Yep. Jonathan, what did you learn today? Um, I learned that there's a lot of stuff about coyotes. Like, <laughs> coyotes look two different ways sometimes when they cross the streets. Yep. And also that people, even in small towns should be aware that coyotes could be right behind their houses or right in parks next to them such they, as like central park maybe there are and they don't need and they don't need a lot of space even by train tracks i mean they've got yeah yeah true. Yeah, yeah and keep your pets safe true don't engage with a coyote don't I try know. to domesticate it and lock and keep and 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 what about garbage what should you do with what should you do with your food oh Always put it away. Always throw it out. Never leave it behind in parks. Maybe lock um, those. Lock up the. Lock up those garbage cans. Yep. Andrea, have you seen coyotes up where you are? Oh my God! I hear them all the time. <laughs> um, usually about two, three in the morning, and I feel like they're right under our window. They probably are. Yeah, although they probably they're, are. They're, they're, they're because calls I have do care. Big open fields with bunnies and. Unfortunately, people have barn cats, house, you know, and outdoor cats, and that's that is part of the reality of living in their space, right? And it has become their space. Yeah. Uh, when thank you so much for being on the show, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, backyard beasts of prey. Find it, Alta Magazine. Read it, especially if you're a Los Angeles native. Will you come back anytime and 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 share more about about about. Psycom Psycom Camp. Yeah. Very quickly, tell us about that before we close out. Um, we uh, think that science communication is important, um, and it's important uh, both uh, for people like me who are professional science communicators, as well as for scientists who wish to um, do better, more effective outreach, right, to communicate their science. So um, we do a retreat every fall here in Los Angeles. We get um, about 120 people from all over the world, and we hang out. Um, and uh, learn some skills and do some networking. And we do it at like, it's sort of like sleepaway camp for adults. Where do you do um, it? And can anyone join? Uh, anybody can come. Just sign up, psychomcamp.com. We're going to okay. open registration next right. month. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so since we do it there, like we'll, we'll, we'll do a, um, we'll do, we do stargazing, we bring out some telescopes, and we do um, you know camp style stuff, depending on uh, what the fire season looks like. We might have a campfire, or we might decide not to have a campfire and have like a fireplace instead. If you have a campfire, do you make s'mores? Yes. Okay. We have s'mores either way. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> there it is. I'm done. I'm there. I'm there. Uh, and where can people go and log on to this? I mean, Psycomcamp.com. Look it up, all you all you nerds. Yeah. Uh, and my, I say that, I, mean, <laughs> I, I include myself in that as well. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here today. Jonathan. What do you think? Did you uh, did this did this help? Did this uh, spark anything in, in you? It made me uh, realize how cautious you have to be about your animal at night, during the day, even like when you're not even home. 
pay attention to like what's happening. Excellent. Good, 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 good. Yes, and you absolutely have my permission to show this to your teachers, your educators, your 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 class. So, hello class in Westchester County. Andrea, thank you so much again. I couldn't do this show without you. God bless. Thank you. This was, uh, you know, good education for all of us. Gray, uh, I missed you last night at the Beastly Ball where our dear friend Jack Hanna was honored with the Tom Mankiewicz Humanitarian, Humanitarian Award. And, well uh, deserved. Jack is a great human being, and Susie's wife is even better. So you know what? Uh, and I met Susie last night, and I had never met her before. I've met Jack on several occasions, but you're right; she is a better she's, human being. She's phenomenal, and and Jack's the first one to admit it. So. Yes, he is. Yes, That's he is. Probably why they've been married for I think 50 years. They so. will be. And you know what? Jack told me <laughs> he told me the story last night. I was laughing so hard just the way he tells it because he's such a good old Tennessee country boy. And he said, uh, he said that he was at college. He brought a goat onto campus. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, and was kicked out of college and then worked his way back in, but kept the goat in a field like outside his dorm room. And Susie helped him take care. And this was, you know, how many umpteen years ago. And Jack was, he, as he says, he says he was 220 pounds and wore glasses and he married Susie because she was nice to him. <laughs> oh, that was the funniest thing. Oh, uh, and you know, and he's and he, the man doesn't have a wrinkle on his face. And yeah, we he, should all age like Jack. We should all sure. age like Jack Hanna, and I don't know how he does it because he's out in the sun all the time. But he's got that fabulous hat. So he sends his love. Susie sends his love. Your ears must have been on fire last night. Um, cats Thank and you. kittens, uh, especially us Los Angeles natives. Actually, any actually, you know what? Everyone in the United States, trust me, you have coyotes. Yeah. Uh, I hope you learned a great deal about them today. And again, read the article, especially if you live in an urban area. Uh, we will see you again in two weeks on Animal Magnetism. It takes a village. We've got to redo that intro because it's certainly not a single voice, not anymore. Uh, always remember, in everything you do, first of all, donate. Donate somewhere to an animal cause. And, and if you're smart, you will donate to savelacougars.com and get that bridge built so that the cougars can cross safely. It's going to be a wonderful green bridge when it is finally built. But donate. A quarter helps. Please, come on. And always remember, in everything you do as you move through your day and through your life, cultivate the preservationist heart. The animals will thank you and you'll thank yourself. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>